Hi, I'm Rob and you're listening to the Teacher Planning Podcast. I'm here to simply help guide you towards quality, variety and consistent development as a teacher. You may have been teaching for 20 years or you may have been teaching for 20 days, but in my opinion, you never stop learning. The day you stop learning is the day the education system is failing. One thing you need to remember when listening to this is that you need to be open-minded. What works for someone else might not work for you and what works for you might not work for someone else. We're all here to share ideas. So enough of me talking, here's the pod. So today I've got the pleasure of being joined by Hannah. Hannah's a music teacher based in the northwest of England and you've been teaching for 12 years, is it Hannah? Absolutely, yeah, 12 years. Awesome, well more more experience than me. (laughs) (laughs) And... I mean, I, I don't know too, any more about you, to be honest. Want to give me a bit more of a background to yourself? Yep. I went to, obviously, did my GCSEs, went in, into college and then into university to do music. Um, and after I went to university, I thought, I don't know what I want to do. So I went into a normal job, like an advertising job, and didn't really enjoy it. I needed something that was different every day. I wanted to interact with people. So I looked into teaching. and. I went and did my PGCE and I got my first job in an area in Manchester called Salford Um, and Salford is one of the you know quite a high area of deprivation so I did nine years in there and learned a lot a lot about teaching a lot about children a lot about families and a lot about building relationships so I moved on to be head of department in a school and I've been there for three years now so that is my Summary. Fantastic. A nice, uh, a nice varied background there. So I'm, I'm just going to let you crack on here. So do you want to start talking about your lesson? What? Give us some context to the lesson. Um, what sort of school you're in? What sort of class size you're dealing with? The level of the children at the moment, and so on. So I'll let you. I'll let you carry on. So I work in a. It's probably an average secondary school. Our class sizes are around the thirty mark. And this lesson is a year seven lesson and it's looking at the piano and how to improve skills on the piano. So this is an introductory lesson to doing that. Before the lesson starts, because students, I think, need some kind of focus, I create a booklet for them for each unit. And in that booklet, it has all the things that they will need. So it's got things like um, chord diagrams, tab pitch diagrams rhythm charts and then it's got all the assessment criteria in there for each unit so for each unit they'll have a starter task a peer assessment sheet success criteria a radial diagram which i'll talk about in a bit if you're not sure what that is keyword bingo um, and i'll explain that later and then self-assessment grid so they'll assess themselves each so this is, you've got this all prepared for every single class that you teach before they even come in so you've done loads of preparation loads of planning before this yeah it's really important because if the students have a structure it gives them a routine if they know those expectations of that routine I found that behavior is much better because if they know what to expect when they come into the lesson and you just reinforce it you know we do something called positive praise which works really well so it's oh my goodness there's five people sat down really really quietly you guys can go on the board that kind of thing it ticks along the lesson nicely without me having to be heavy-handed and start you know ruining those relationships by telling people off from the very beginning so I like to be really prepared (laughs) so the lesson 
objective wise, I like big questions. It was a bit of a fad about five, 10 years ago, but for a big question is something where you have a learning objective that's overarching for the whole scheme of learning. So my scheme to six lessons and then the success criteria within that are quite detailed and um, it's kind of like a flow chart where students move progressively through their success criteria. So the kind of big question or learning objective for this scheme is um, to learn how to play an ostinato on the piano. And so in order to support that, I split my lesson into four sections. So we do a do now, a starter task, the main task, and then the plenary, which is quite normal. Um, so our do now tasks are five minutes. And like I said before, establishing routines and things like that. Students know what to do. They walk in with their booklet. The task is on the board. It's usually like a reading music starter task or something that is important in, in terms of music theory to get that basic knowledge in there first. And obviously repeating that task embeds the knowledge into the long-term memory so they'll have a better understanding of not just listening to music and playing music, but also reading it as well. Could you give us um, a really quick example of an, an example task which you might have? Yeah, so I'll have the music stave on the board with lots of notes written at kind of in the stave and the notes will be letters. So they might spell a word. So it could be age or cafe or baggage or something like that. And the students have got to work out using their the back of the book, the booklet that I've made them with all the note names in the back, they've got to work out what these names are on the board, if that makes sense. Oh, okay, yeah, I like that, I mean, it makes sense to me, and I'm not a music teacher, um, so it should make sense to the children. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so that's the do now, that's the time where I walk around the classroom and just say you know, lovely things to them, like, oh my goodness, John is on four, question four of 10, and he's the furthest along, or whatever it might be, to get them, feeling positive about the lesson and building up the confidence so they feel like there's a sense of achievement already, which sets a nice tone for the, for the students in the class. So after that, the starter task is five minutes, just modeling the task and talking through the success criteria. So I will share the learning objective with them. We might read it out as a class together. And then we go through the, the success criteria one at a time and I'll model each one. So the first step on the success criteria ladder, it might be something like to play the first bar of shape of you using the correct fingers of your right hand. Um, and then I'll have information on the PowerPoint, which they can see in front of them and also at the front of the classroom, because ours is set up where students sit around the room facing the wall. <laughs> so they'll turn around to face the board. So I will do several things to embed that success criteria I will get the hands in the air we have finger numbers so thumb is one next one is two three four and your little finger is five and we sing so it might be we use our fingers two and four so I might sing two four two two four two two four and I'll expect the children to sing it with me and they will also move their fingers at the same time to indicate how to play it on an invisible piano as if they're, they're pretending it with the hand in the air. Okay, I'm uh, sorry, and this is to which year group again would you use this with? I would use it with, um, if you start with year seven, they'll do it in year 11. I okay, mean, so I, like, I was gonna say, what sort of reaction do you get from the children when you ask them to sing something? 
oh, it, well, I've done it in, in many different settings. So when you do it in interview, it's very different to when you do it in the classroom. If you do it in interview, they kind of look at you as if to say, I can see the head teacher and I'm just going to, just going to sing but if you're in you know a really challenging setting it's it's that expectation from the very start I feel like if you don't know the children and they don't know you if you go in confidently from the very beginning already with you you know you spiel about how important it is or you know how you don't mind if it's quiet to start with but we're going to get better we're going to get louder and always start with the most challenging things first so in year seven when we start I start them on singing in the first, very first term, just so they've got that baseline expectation. And that's probably, for confidence, the most difficult thing that they could do. And they've got it out of the way straight away. Yeah, um, that's, that's brilliant. Start, start them early and they know exactly what, what they're going to get from every single music lesson. So they can't go into your class thinking, oh no, she suddenly asked us to sing. <laughs> they know it's probably going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, making it fun as well really really important um but yeah so going back to the finger numbers and all that kind of stuff we've gone through what the note names are we've got they've got a sheet in front of them with the music on we've gone through the fingers we've embedded it we've talked about it lots probably takes about five minutes getting them to do the actions and things like that and then the main task is where they physically go and do it i will put a timer on the board i think timers are really useful because the students can see right, I've only got five minutes or I've only got one minute left or I've got loads of time to work this out so I don't need to worry or whatever it might be. If they've got a timer on the board and I shape the language by saying things like, right, you've got five minutes, it's a competition. Whoever can play that you know, right-hand part with the correct fingers first, you know, whatever you know, positive praise you want to give them or rewards or anything like that. So I will walk around the class while they're independently working I'll walk around the class, make sure every single person can understand what we're doing. If they can understand and they're working really well, then that's just a light touch from me. If they can't understand, then I'll model it again right in front of them. Um, because sometimes students just need to see what it looks like as well. Yeah. Um, and I have a visualizer in my classroom. Um, so yeah, it's really, really important to make sure at the very beginning of a task that every student is on board. And one-to-one for me is the best way because I can say to them, show it me on the piano how far you've got and if they can do it brilliant if they can't I can give them some tips to help them kind of improve that um, and it links to what we were talking about before we started recording about mastery and, and the mastery curriculum and I don't know much about it um, I spoke to a few maths teacher friends who use it and I like the overarching ethos where it's no students left behind so they seem to make sure that every student can do the basic task. Those who can already do it, get to practice it and really embed that skill. Those who can't will get extra intervention or extra support from the teacher, or they might have um, one of those expert students sit next to them and, and help them with the work. So I really like that and making sure that in music, they can do the basics. And as soon as they can do that basic, they can move forward at their own pace, which is again, why I've got the success track criteria in like a ladder. So they follow it step by step I, um, I think that's absolutely brilliant the fact that you you've gone to the maths department and, you, and you've discussed how, how they use this mastery in in their curriculum and in, in their lessons I think you think it's so important again 
children come from a primary school where a lot of the time they've had the same teacher teaching them. So they say, yeah. oh yeah, we've done that in maths and we're going to do that in music as well. Whereas they probably wouldn't expect that from secondary school. Yeah. So the fact that you're on the same, same wavelength as the maths department and you bring it into your music lessons, that's brilliant and you can learn so much from each other. Yeah, I think that's really important because there's two schools of thought. There's, well, I'm music and they're maths and there's nothing really that links us together. Um, you know in a kind of skills and knowledge situation but pedagogy you can really learn from other departments and really mix up your teaching by looking at other subjects and not everything's relevant I probably wouldn't do any textbook work in music whereas in maths they might do a bit of textbook work and um, they might get students to solve puzzles on the board I, you know I can't do yeah. that unless it's in my starter task or my plenary so there are things that don't apply but it's really useful because it, it really improves your game, especially when subjects like maths and English have so much input. They have such a strict curriculum. There's loads of resources out there for core subjects and subjects like music. There's not really much out there in terms of stuff on tests, unless you want to pay for it, courses um, that, that, that you, you, know, you can kind of use. I know a lot of maths teachers get quite a lot of resources for free or they can buy in a whole year's worth of schemes of learning music there are things available but i think the maths and english side of things have done it for so long they're so yeah. you know it's so much more refined so it's useful to get tips from people like in, in other departments yeah no, that's, that's great um so while you're doing that go around the classroom and helping students out you'll notice who can do it who's struggling and once the timer goes i'll have got a list of students who are really good at the task and I'll ask them to play it in front of the class. So it's really important that students can see success and failure. If they feel like being um, playing something wrong um, is a big deal, they won't do it. They won't play in front of each other. So it's really important to show the progress. Look, everybody's at the same stage, roughly. Everybody's had the same amount of practice, but this person can play it. They might not be fluent. They're making a few mistakes, but actually they're doing really, really well. And I'm really pleased with their progress. And I think that's important to, to say on a regular basis to the students, really re reassure them that mistakes are good. It just shows that you're learning and you're making progress. So we do that. We listen to each other. We talk about it. And then you've got two routes that you can go. Either the class are really making great progress and you can move them on to the next task, which is the next step on the success criteria or they're struggling, so you need to put some intervention in place. I wouldn't move on unless everybody in the class could play the first step on the ladder and the success criteria. So if that's not the case, if not everybody can play that ostinato, that shape of you, then I give them an extra five minutes. Any students who are really, really struggling, I will sit an expert student next to them and that student will teach them how to do I, it. I was just about to say, what would you do with the students who are cruising? <laughs> if I mean a lot of I, I find this works with a lot of boys because boys like competition so oh look um you know David's really good at this part on the piano who would like to work with David so that they can be as good as him or whatever you yeah. know really bigging them up and making them feel um really important and there's loads of little things that you can do and an intervention so it's things like looking at your seating plan looking at differentiating the tasks but I think 
if you're chunking it really small and you start off really small, you're catering to everyone really, you're differentiating right from the bottom all the way up to the top. And that's what I try and do as well. So that's the main part of the lesson and that will, will, will do practice and then listening, practice and then listening until, well, for about 30 minutes. And then it's the plenary time. So for them, I think it's really important to contextualize the learning and really use the, the keywords from the lesson or the key points and get it down on paper um, so they can remember it for next time so I can read over it and see what where they're up to so they'll do that they'll write down using the success criteria as either a scaffold or just as a talking point they'll write down what they did well and what they might need to do next time to, you know to be helped out and we do something called keyword bingo so keyword bingo is where they'll get nine lessons throughout the whole scheme of work and they'll, uh, not, not nine lessons, sorry, nine words through the whole scheme of work. And each keyword they'll write down in their book in a grid of three by three. And they'll write the definition of that word and they'll put it anywhere in the grid they want to put it. And at the end of the scheme, we'll play bingo and I'll say, what word means that somebody plays something and the rest of the class respond and the students might know that that's call and response and they'll tick that off and whoever's got three in a row gets a little prize so it could be a postcard home it might be a positive phone call it could, it could be anything it could be chocolate whatever your school <laughs> whatever your school allows yeah um, and then that's pretty much it for the lesson there's something that i've not talked about which is radial diagrams i don't know whether you've ever heard of radial diagrams but i think uh, they're great. no and i'm sure i'm sure there'd be a few other people out there who haven't as well <laughs> so a radial diagram um it's i think it it sounds like it comes from the old verbal verbal feedback stamp so when staff used to give verbal feedback and some staff were asked to evidence that they'd have a stamp that said verbal feedback and i i just think it it's pretty useless it says you know i I'm, i should be giving verbal feedback to every child every lesson as much as i can but a stamp doesn't mean, doesn't mean anything. It's not demonstrating the quality of the verbal feedback. It's not demonstrating whether the students respond to it. So it's just a tick box exercise, isn't it? Absolutely. And what's the point? And <laughs> um, so some really clever person has come up with something called a radial diagram and it's a circle, a small circle, a bigger circle around it and a bigger circle around that. So it's three circles within each other. And there are spokes that come out of the circle. So in regard to this lesson today, one of the spokes might be to play shape of you with your right hand using the correct fingers. And there'll be a line that that, that spoke will go through the three circles. And the first circle says not yet. The second circle says can do. And the third circle says can do really well. So what I would do is walk around the class and if students can't do it, I put a little dot next to not yet. And I like that language because it means there's potential there for the student to get better. The next one says can do. So if they can do that, you put a little dot around that kind of that spoke. And then if they can do it really well, you put another dot. And the idea is the colour changes for each lesson. So one week the colour might be blue. The next week the colour might be green. And so you can see the progress on this diagram of the student, whether they're always making progress and, you know, they're going up and up and up where there's some weeks they go up and then down and up and down and other weeks where they're really, really struggling. So you can identify by just looking, it's really, really clear which students are doing well, which are struggling. And I try and do 15 a lesson if I can. Okay. So, so how long would that take you? 
you know, when I was talking about the students will be practicing independently for maybe five minutes at a time. Yeah. It, it'll take me probably two or three lots of those five minutes just to get around 15 students. Yeah. Maybe. So I think it's really important. It saves me marking books and listening to recordings at home and saying, right, well, you know, this student was playing this. It saves me just recording them every lesson as well. Uh, I can mark it live in the lesson and it doesn't really impact on my um, other time. And so, sorry, how long was the, how long was the lesson in total? It was an hour. An hour's lesson. So can you summarise with your timings again? You had your starter, your main part, and going into your plenary, just, just to be kind of very general there. Can you summarise in 30 seconds how the lesson would look? So we do the do now in five minutes. Students do a music theory starter task to get them sat in silence. We do a starter task for five minutes and that starter task is me modelling the main task and teaching them how to do it. The main task is 30 minutes where they will practice the skill. They will be peer assessed on the skill and they will be teacher assessed on the skill using the radial diagrams. And then that then intervention comes into that if necessary. And then the plenary is 10 minutes where we do um, a keyword bingo and they do their practice log where they talk about what successes they've had in the lesson and what they need to do next. Fantastic. Now, now, something based on that, I'd, I'd imagine that sort of lesson with the, everything that you've planned before it and during the lesson and, and for the plenary, you, you could use those resources in so much of your work, I, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. All of my, um, everything is kind of st- structured around that. So all my PowerPoints, I've got the same types of things in, but, you know, the booklets for each topic are just copied and and pasted in the success criteria and the radial diagrams are changed slightly but they're practically the same so once you've got one scheme of work you can roll that out for the rest of the year which which yeah. is really helpful oh that's that's brilliant and with, with regards to those resources have you created them yourself or did you get them from someone else from another school or did you get them from tes or i think a lot of it because I've been doing it for so, so long, you forget where it comes from. The, the radial diagrams are a new thing. That was on, I, um, I love Facebook for doing work things and Twitter as well. So on Facebook, there's lots and lots of subject specific mu- you know, music um, groups that I go on and look at all the people's fantastic ideas, especially now. Um, loads of resources are, are being put up there for free and I will contribute some of the things that, you know, my, my booklet is on there, the booklet that I use, um, the radial diagrams that I use. It's all on Facebook for free, which is brilliant. I think that's, I think teachers need to do a lot more of that, especially in subjects where there's not really that much out there for free. I think it's, I think it's great because you, you're building up the progress of not only your children, but, you know, you're seeing what other people are doing and making your curriculum much more robust and much better for the students. Yeah, and, and just uh, just for listeners out there, what Facebook page is that? There's a few. So I teach OCR GCSE. So it, there's the OCR GCSE Music Teachers Facebook page. Yeah. There's Key Stage 3 Music Hints and Tips. There is one for Edexcel GCSE, one for AQA GCSE, and there's a music Head of Music or Head of Department Facebook page that I use as well. Okay, I'm just thinking I will try and get these up in the uh, in the podcast notes. That people yeah, I'll send the links to you and then you can put them up. I was going to say that'd be great. And um, 
and yeah, and any other resources that you feel kind of would have applied to this lesson, I'll, I'll give it to listeners. Watch this space because I'm just, uh, <laughs> looking at putting something together. Yeah, sounds brilliant. Okay. Hannah, that sounded absolutely brilliant. And I'd like to think other music teachers and, and teachers of any subject could use um, the way you've structured that lesson, the way you've assessed. And, and it just shows the preparation that you put in before just limits your, limits your workload for the actual lesson. Absolutely. And it, there are, you know, you get much better outcomes from the students if you are really rigid and consistent, especially working in challenging circumstances. A lot of those students, you know, you might have students who don't get a lot of consistency outside of your room. It's really important to be the same every lesson and that they know your expectations, but they also feel comfortable because they know what is expected of them as well. Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you very much, Hannah. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this week's Teacher Planning Podcast. I really hope that this will help you in your practice and to ultimately help your students. If there are any subjects and topics that you would like to hear ideas on, please get in touch at teacherplan@outlook.com or reach out on Twitter or Instagram where you can find me at Teacher Planning Podcast. I would also love to hear feedback to give you the best listening experience possible. Keep educating, keep learning.